Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Sullivan. On the program today, Red Alert. In this election, you have a choice about what the next 18 months and the next 18 years look like. In a very tight race with a fourth wave of COVID rising, can the Liberals justify calling the election with their big spending new platform? Just months after passing a pandemic recovery budget, what do they have to offer that's actually new? Liberal candidate Dominic O'Blown joins us on that and then gunfight. It's going to be very important for Canadians to ask Mr. O'Toole to be really clear and to start telling the truth. I'll repeat, we're going to maintain the ban on assault weapons. Will a Conservative government really reverse the ban on many assault weapons? Candidates join us to debate that. Plus, Green Gamble. Why won't the Green Party leader leave her own riding? Will her campaign gamble pay off or lead to a national green erosion? We go one-on-one -on -one with Green Party leader Annamie Paul. Then, debate duels. Why have you started an election in the middle of a fourth wave of a pandemic? The two main debates are just days away. What do the parties need to do in these critical face-offs? Ronna Ambrose, Tom Mulcair and Jody Wilson-Raybould join us to find out. This is question period. Let's go get some answers. This is day 22 on the federal election campaign, but it is the last two weeks ahead that will have the biggest impact. This is debate week. The French and English debates are Wednesday and Thursday nights. For the Liberals, who started the campaign ahead in the polls, this is viewed as a much-needed turnaround week. The Conservatives have been ahead in the top-line polls. The NDP are up as well. So this is a very, very tight race. But to set up this week, the Liberals followed the Conservatives and the NDP and dropped their big spending platform just four months after the federal government released their 2021 budget. The new platform includes things like $78 billion in new spending over five years uh, of new money. Of that, $1 billion for COVID-19 proof of vaccination fund for provinces and territories, $3.2 billion to expand access to family doctors and healthcare workers, a billion to help provinces and territories implement a handgun ban. Now, the new commitments would put Canada further into debt, which currently stands at more than a trillion dollars, and there's no plan to balance the budget. I think it matters to be fiscally responsible. I think it matters to live within our means. But I think it also matters to be making the right investments so that future generations can prosper even more. So, why didn't the Liberals include these big spending promises in their budget just four months ago? And with the fourth wave rising, is this an indictment of their decision to call a snap election? Let's find out. Joining me now is Liberal candidate Dominic LeBlanc. Mr. LeBlanc, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Good morning, Evan. Your, your party promised uh, not to call an election during the pandemic. Clearly, we're still in it. The Public Health Agency of Canada called on all Canadians to limit their contacts this fall. The vaccination job's not done. How do you still, at this moment, explain to Canadians a decision to call an election in the midst of a fourth wave? Evan, we've said also that, uh, and so has Dr. Tam and other experts, that an election can safely be held uh, during during the COVID-19 context. Uh, the NDP government of British Columbia uh, held an election, the Conservative government in my province of New Brunswick. We've always said the fight against COVID is not over. Uh, we have, I think, showed Canadians uh, that will be there to support Canadians during COVID, to support provinces, healthcare systems, to procure vaccines. But we've also said that to finish the fight against COVID, we need to have, for example, mandatory vaccine requirements to take a plane or a train. 
Uh, we need to ensure that, frankly, we do more than the conservative plan of sending everybody something in the mail and suggesting they get vaccinated. And we need to support provinces and territories in things like vaccine certification requirements. So, uh, but sir, Evan, just, just, I guess the pushback is you could have done all of that before you called an election. You had the support of the NDP. You had the confidence of Parliament. What, what is, is there one thing that your party is promising to do now that you couldn't have done before you called the election in the midst of a fourth wave? Because it seems like you could do everything. No, well, Evan, first of all, you, you, that's a hypothetical question. We're not sure that Parliament, uh, frankly, in the last number of months was an extremely dysfunctional context. In the end, we worked with other parties to get essential supports to Canadians that were required. We're very proud of that. But we have more work to do. For example, the platform the Prime Minister announced last week goes much further, certainly, than the Conservatives are prepared to on affordability issues like helping Canadians buy their first home, like bringing $10 a day childcare across the country, working with provinces and territories. Mr. O'Toole is going to rip up the child care agreements. No, but sir, cancel sir, no, billions but, but Mr. of dollars Mr. LeBlanc, committed to lowering the cost of child care. We think that's an important choice for Canadians to have. Evan. But, but respectfully, it's, you, it's the calling of the election that has jeopardized the child care. You had agreements with eight provinces. Then you called the election, and it's only jeopardized because you called the election. You didn't call the election. Those promises, you could have kept working on those. And I just four months ago, your party released a budget two years in the making. Within four months, apparently, even though it promised $100 billion of new spending over three years, it's out of date because you've now added $78 billion more of new spending. How do you tell Canadians to trust a plan that is out of date within four months? No, it's not out of date, Evan, at all. We think the budget introduced uh, in April was a very, very important budget to finish the fight against COVID and prepare the country in terms of economic and social issues on the other side of COVID. Uh, the reason you're talking about the precise financial commitments that we've made in our platform is because our party is the only one that has provided a detailed costing, both in terms of investments, but in terms of revenues. The Conservative Party platform, they have this phony pretense, Evan, of being great fiscal managers they produce a 10-year fiscal horizon. They know that the Department of Finance works in five-year fiscal horizons. They have phony economic growth assumptions to generate revenues that no serious economist believes will be there. And they didn't ask the parliamentary budget officer, as we did, to do the independent costing of a platform. No, so I, I think if Canadians compare the fiscal prudence of our platform versus the other platforms, we're going to come out very well in that conversation. Okay, but they did ask the uh, parliamentary budget officer to review it. They haven't allowed the parliamentary budget officer to release all the information, but they have asked. But just to be fair, just quickly going back on that, you did have the budget, I guess, must have been shy $78 billion of spending, and that makes people wonder why the, the cost goes up with no promise to balance. But I just, for time, I want to move on. I, I really do want to cover the liberal, former <laughs> liberal candidate Raj Saini, who just stepped down as a candidate. He has denied allegations of misconduct in the workplace, uh, and they haven't been proven in court. And I know he said there's an independent third-party review of, that cleared him. But this is, why did the liberals allow a candidate like that, with those allegations, to run again until he decided to step down? Can you please explain that? 
Evan, the Prime Minister has consistently said, even before we formed a government in 2015, that every Canadian deserves a safe, healthy workplace. Allegations of harassment have to be dealt with by an independent, appropriate process. Um, in the case of Mr. Saini, he is no longer a Liberal candidate. There were allegations, I think, a year or so ago. The House of Commons did an independent review. But new information came right. to light in recent days, and that's why Mr. Saini is no longer a Liberal candidate. Liberals pledged mandatory vaccines for all domestic travel, uh, bus and trains, and a, and a national vaccine port for international travel. Uh, for, but right now, the provinces have vaccine certificates, some of them, and we don't know, there's no standardization on this. You know, you don't know if it works in Quebec and Ontario or BC. Uh, why hasn't your government already come out with the passport? And why has there been no standardization right now after 18 months of this pandemic? Evan, you and I have talked about this on your show in previous months. We are, as a government, very active in working with provinces and territories on preparing exactly that, a national proof of vaccine credential. Uh, it's a complicated undertaking in terms of information technology. The provinces are the owners of the individual patient's data. It's not properly in a federal uh, database, nor should it be. So we need to work with provinces in a way that's safe and secure to have access to that data and produce a national proof of vaccine credential. That's exactly what we've been working on and what we will be delivering to Canadians. My colleague, the Minister of Immigration, Marco Mendicino, has had numerous discussions with provinces and territories, as have I. We're developing that, Evan, so that it can be used to assist Canadians in international travel. But if some provinces properly decide to use it in their jurisdiction for public events or indoor spaces, for example, we would encourage that. And we're happy to give right. them a national proof of vaccine that they can, in their judgment, decide to use within their jurisdiction. I just have a, just a couple seconds here, but national pharmacare is a big issue, and Jagmeet Singh keeps raising it. Uh, in the new Liberal platform, it's barely mentioned, and I know you pledged for it in 2019. Uh, there's no details on this. Why should Canadians trust that your government is committed to something like national pharmacare when it's barely mentioned as a priority in your platform? Uh, we've said all along, Evan, that we wanted to start by helping Canadians with the high cost of drugs for rare diseases. There are a number of particular medical conditions that have almost miraculous drugs that can provide immediate relief, long-term relief for patients that are very expensive. We've invested hundreds of millions of dollars to help provinces afford the ability to cover those patients in those circumstances. And I was very pleased to work with Premier right. King, the Conservative Premier of Prince Edward Island, to bring together an implementation model of what a national single-payer right. pharmacare but, program would look like. And we're doing exactly that in Prince Edward Island. And then we'll be prepared to roll it out to other provinces once we see okay. exactly how to implement it in a jurisdiction like PEI, then it would be available across the country. To be fair, in PEI, you just extended coverage to some drugs. It wasn't what they're talking about as universal pharmacare, but it's I guess it's an extension of some coverage. Uh, we look forward to more debates on, on these issues as the campaign rolls into the second week. Mr. LeBlanc, I always appreciate you taking time off the trail to talk to us. Thank you, sir. Yeah, Evan, thank you, and have a great Labor Day weekend. You too. When we come back, a political gunfight. Where do the Conservatives stand on banning assault weapons, and how could rising fourth wave of the pandemic impact the campaign? Candidates join us next to debate. Stay right here with Question Period.
Well, this is getting critical now. Just days before the federal leaders' debates are taking place, there have already been big, robust debates about the fourth wave, mandatory vaccines, climate change, and affordability issues like housing. But now, gun control has emerged as a major issue. In the Conservative Party platform, it says, quote, we will start by repealing C-71 and the May 2020 order in council and conducting a review of the Firearms Act. Now, that order in council added 1,500 types of military-style assault weapons to the prohibited list, including guns like the Ruger Mini-14, for example, that was used in the 1989 Montreal Massacre. But Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole refuses to name exactly what weapons he would now make legal again and repeats that he would actually support the ban on assault weapons. Check this out. We will maintain the ban on assault weapons and we will make sure that we work with police and we work to make sure that there's a transparent process to keep people safe. So how does he square that circle? What guns would a Conservative government actually ban? Meantime, Anti-vaccine protests continue in parts of the country as more provinces, like Ontario, BC and Quebec, adopt a vaccine passport. This, as new federal modelling, shows Canada could see more than 15,000 new COVID-19 cases each day by October if the rate of transmission stays the same and vaccinations don't pick up. There is a risk that hospital capacity could be exceeded by the Delta-driven resurgence. However, there is still a window of opportunity to reduce the rate of epidemic growth and get on a better trajectory. Are vaccines becoming another wedge issue of the election? And does the rise of the fourth wave reveal this was not the moment to call a federal election? Let's find out. Joining me now, Liberal candidate Melanie Jolie, Conservative candidate Michelle Rampel-Garner, and NDP candidate Claire Haxel. Uh, great to have the three of you on the program. Uh, Pleasure. Ms. Rebelgarn, I got to start with you because uh, Mr. O'Toole has been asked repeatedly over the last number of days about his promise uh, to ban assault weapons. But the platform clearly states, as we read in the introduction, that the conservative, a conservative government would repeal the, the ban. So can you just be specific? Would a conservative government repeal the ban on specific weapons like the mini Ruger 14 used in the Ecole Polytechnique or the gun used in the Nova Scotia mass shootings? Will those guns and others, uh, the ban on them be repealed, yes or no? Well, first of all, um, I just strongly feel that we all have a duty to stop firearms violence in Canada. And I know just from research and experience in Parliament and talking to law enforcement officials that the problem in Canada, because we have one of the strictest gun uh, set of regulations in the world, is illegally smuggled firearms. Those are the firearms that are used in violent crime. So our party's platform focuses on stopping the importation of that, as well as preventing gang violence and putting resources into those activities which is what victims' rights right. and, and you know, law enforcement officials have to say to us. And I, to me, that is the right approach. Our, our leader has been consistent on that. And, you know, the Liberals have had six years to address that issue. We've seen increases in violent crime. So rather than sort of importing a false narrative, uh, we are focusing on the Canadian context, but, but, which is illegally... Okay, but can I just get a... And I get that, and I appreciate that, but I've read the platform. Just So how can Mr. O'Toole have it both ways? He says, I will repeal the ban, and then he says, no, I'm going to keep the ban. Uh, so just be specific. What guns yeah. would a Conservative government actually ban, and what would be made illegal? 
Yeah, to reemphasize what my leader said is unequivocally true. We would maintain the ban on assault uh, uh, firearms in Canada. Um, you know, I'll leave it to the Liberal candidate to explain how banning an airsoft gun is going to address um, an e illegally imported or smuggled handgun in, used in gang violence in Toronto. We need to focus on that. This is a really serious issue. Melanie Jolie, uh, you can respond to that, and then I've got a question about your position. Go ahead. Well, clearly, Michelle can't answer the question. So it's yes or no. Aaron O'Toole straight up lied yes. to Canadians in the TVA debate, saying that he would render illegal um, many assault weapons across the country, while his platform is saying the opposite. He is not able to tell whether the gun used at Polytechnic in the Danford in Moncton would be back uh, on our streets in a legal way across the country. And this is a question that is very, very important because Aaron O'Toole was backed by the gun lobby in order for him to win the leadership race. Gun control advocates say the Liberals have broken promises, reversing course on the mandatory assault rifle buyback program promised in 2019. Now you've introduced a bill that make the buyback voluntary, leaving the handgun ban that you've highly touted into the hands of municipality, uh, essentially absolving your government of the responsibility to do it. So why should Canadians believe your party on this issue? Well, we've heard from police souviens and the, the you know, women's groups and, and families of victims and we agree with them. We have to do better. We have to table legislation that is even better than C21. Right. That's why in our platform we're saying that assault weapons, um, there will be a mandatory buyback of assault weapons. And also, we have to go further. We need to make sure that in provinces and territories that want to ban handguns, including my own province of Quebec, well, we will partner with these provinces, make right. sure that they have access to funding. We're ready to put a billion dollar minimum on right. the table to make sure that you're, that you're is ready. Happening. But I mean, the critics is you're ready after six years. Ms. Haxel, on the NDP, I looked through your platform. There's a lot to be candid. There's very little on that. I know there's general vague statements like keeping assault weapons and illegal handguns off the streets. Uh, what concrete steps would an NDP government take? Well, look, here's the thing. The Liberals and the Conservatives are both, they have a long history of saying one thing and then doing the other. And I get that the Conservatives, uh, you know, this is news. They, the O'Toole got caught saying one thing and doing the, and then wanting to do the other. And this is a bit of a inventing of a political issue to debate. We need to be focused on talking about things like vaccines. Look, and the NDP are clear. So you're saying gun, gun, guns are, I mean, you're, you're campaigning in Toronto. No. Guns are an invented issue. It's a real issue. What's wrong with that? No. What I'm saying is that the controversy of the leaders saying one thing and doing another, that's the made up, con that is the controversy. Getting guns off the street is so important. We, we support a goal of getting military style assault weapons off the street and then empowering municipalities like Toronto to ban handguns. But we also need to be talking about big issues here, like getting everyone vaccinated. Okay, uh, let me, Ms. Jolie, let me just quickly go back to you on this. Public Health Agency of Canada gave a bleak forecast, Dr. Tam calling on all Canadians to limit their contact as we move indoors, saying Canada could see 15,000 cases a day by the end of the month. In other words, the vaccination job is not done. Isn't this an indictment of your party's decision to call an election based on a recovery when there's not a recovery yet because you're in the middle of the pandemic? How do you justify that? Well, what public health authorities are telling us right now is the cases are rising in the unvaccinated uh, population. What we need to make sure is that people get vaccinated. We're one of the most vaccinated countries in the world. We can be proud of that. Eight out of 10 Canadians have been vaccinated. 
But now we need to make sure that we go further. There needs to be a mandatory vaccination for uh, people that work for the public but how service. how is an election making sure that happens? Well, we know that to make sure that we get out of this crisis, we need to have a strong mandate. We need to have a strong team with a great plan, and that's exactly what we're asking from Canadians. Uh, Michelle Rumpel-Garner, when we see provinces implement vaccine passports, BC, Ontario, Quebec, you know, vaccination rates go way up. It's clearly an incentive. Why won't the Conservatives act, uh, enact mandatory vaccine policies, for example, not only on your candidates, but on domestic travel and federal workers, if those measures boost life-saving vaccination rates? Yeah, as I always do, I just want to take this opportunity. If somebody's watching and they're unvaccinated today, get vaccinated. It, it helps you. It helps the people around you. It's what we need to get done right now. Um, just just to go back to what you asked Ms. Jolie, of course, the election campaign, it was ill-timed. They knew that we were going into the Delta uh, variant-driven fourth wave. And I'm hearing this on my doors. Why are we in this campaign right now? So I think that that is problematic. Um, I would say this, I'm really proud my uh, party leader yesterday, Aaron O'Toole, announced a very detailed plan to boost Canada's vaccination rates to up to 90%. It's not an us versus them initiative. It's a we're all in it together initiative, and it mm -hmm. focuses on the two areas that we know um, vaccine-hesitant Canadians are uh, have problems with, access and education. We're incenting access. Uh, we've got a whole detailed plan to get that done in the next two months. And that's the type of positive response we need to this challenge. So even though we are in this unnecessary election, we've got a plan to address this. And okay. I, 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 okay, I, I'm just, I'm just. The stats are when you make it mandatory, rates go up. Um, Ms. Haxel, just real quick, uh, Mr. Singh is calling for a national plan to provide provinces and territories with more pandemic support. Um, and that, I just want a sort of more leadership question, though, on that. How would Mr. Singh respond to these anti-vaxxer protests out of hospitals? Like, is the NDP okay with mandatory vaccines? Where, where are you on that? Yeah, the NDP does support mandatory vaccines. And, you know, uh, Jagmeet has been very clear on that right from the get-go. And, you know, when we, you're absolutely right that when vaccines are made mandatory, rates go up. And along with mandatory vaccines, we also need to have paid sick days. That should have been implemented at the start of the pandemic. We had the first wave, we had the second yeah. wave, we had the third wave, and now the Liberals are dangling at it as an election promise when we're in the fourth wave. All right, I, I gotta leave it there. Um, I really appreciate, I know it's very busy on the campaign trail. Uh, Melanie Jolie, Michelle Rempel, Garner, and Claire Haxel, uh, good luck on your campaigns, the three of you, and I appreciate your time. All right, when we come back, green fade. Why won't the Green Party leader leave her own riding to help other green candidates try to win? And why hasn't she even released the party platform? We find out next when Green Party leader Annie Paul joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. a record-breaking year of severe weather. Wildfires across Western Canada this summer, including a state of emergency in BC. With climate change a top-of-mind issue for many Canadians, a party defined by its own position on this file should be able to capitalize. Instead, the Green Party has been caught in their own internal wildfires. There is an open warfare between the new leader, Annemi Paul, and the party's federal council. One of the three Green MPs defected to the Liberals back in June. And Annemi Paul, who's desperate to win a riding on her third try in downtown Toronto, says she's not campaigning anywhere else for other candidates. 
So how can the Green Party convince voters they can unify a country if they can't unify their own party? And where's their detailed plan for Canadians to actually see? Let's find out. Joining me now is the leader of the Green Party of Canada, Annamie Paul. Uh, Ms. Paul, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Um, let's get the obvious question out of the way. You and I have spoken about it and you've answered it before. You are running mainly in the Toronto Centre riding. You failed to win that riding twice. You're trying to win it a third time. I understand that. But you're not campaigning with other ridings, essentially leave, barely leaving your own riding. How do you call yourself a national party leader if you're only working to get yourself elected? Evan... <laughs> There are so many um, premises and assumptions in what you just said, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, first, uh, as I said, uh, we're going to be spending the bulk here, but I didn't uh, rule out traveling to other ridings uh, with, uh, uh, to support uh, our candidates. Uh, I've also said many times that we've learned a lot about how you can support candidates and connect with voters across the country uh, using modern uh, techniques. Uh, we've seen uh, the Conservatives do that, for instance. Uh, it's, it's successful and I think more authentic. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know how to put this uh, so that uh, so that it sinks in. But in my case, uh, I was elected during the second wave of the pandemic. We've had two waves since then. I'm in a totally unprecedented situation. All the other leaders who are running are incumbents in their riding. Uh, is I don't I don't think that it's reasonable or fair to expect that uh, I can run a campaign in the same way that they do when I'm running under a certain set of unprecedented circumstances. Let's acknowledge um, division in your party has made a lot of headlines. Um, there's been obviously the defecting MP. Uh, now there's a Green Party candidate in BC who has attacked you on a Facebook post in the past week uh, for not helping other candidates. She, I'm not even going to repeat what she called you because it's pretty harsh. How do you tell Canadians your party is unified enough to deserve their vote when they are seeing that your party does not look unified at all? Uh, again, I'm going to push back on, on uh, the, the entirety of the question. There are several parts to it. Uh, we have hundreds of candidates running. I, I'm certainly disappointed to know that we have a candidate in Quebec that feels that way, but I think we can both agree, Evan, that every single one of the parties has had uh, hiccups with, uh, with candidates. It happens in every election, so there's really nothing new or specific to our party there with that. And what I see, uh, certainly in my case and in the cases of our strong candidates that are running, is that their focus is where it should be, which is on trying to win their seats, trying to connect with voters, trying to uh, share our vision for this next phase in Canada's, right. uh, in Canada's uh, future. Uh, that's really, that's, that's all that I'm doing, you know, that's all that I'm doing, that's all that I see our candidates doing, and so I hope that uh, people will take a look at the candidates running in their riding, and I think that they're going to see a person that they'd like to support. One way uh, for people to understand what you stand for is to release a detailed platform, for example, on climate. Uh, I know you have said you have the most ambitious climate target compared to the other parties, cutting emissions by 60% below 2005 levels by 2030. But there is no detailed plan to tell Canadians exactly how you would do that, how you'd recover from the pandemic. So again, what do you tell Canadians who a couple weeks left in the campaign and we haven't even seen your plan? Well, even when I was running uh, for the leadership, and even without all of the um, all of the 
the, uh, the tools that the larger parties have. I was talking about those things. And during the entire session of Parliament, I mean, Greens were not waiting and I was not waiting until an election to talk about how we could protect people during uh, the pandemic and how we could protect them yeah. afterward, how we could address the climate emergency and launch a green recovery uh, and how we could do that um, and how we, you know, how we could do that during uh, that session of Parliament and how we could do it now. So we've never waited for an election to, uh, to share our plans. Uh, that being said, of course, we're going to be releasing a, uh, a full platform. It will be available uh, in the next uh, few days. Uh, but we have been talking about all of those things, Evan, for, I mean, I've been on your show talking about those things. So, so, but, if people but, want to know what our, our um, yeah. But so you, you're just saying, just to be clear, the, go, platform, go, go the platform will be released before the uh, leader debates? That's right. Just before you go, we're, the country will see you on the, in the two leaders debates later this week. Um, what will be your key message to Canadians who have, haven't met you, a lot of them, you're the newest leader, but also they've read maybe a lot about the internal struggles. Okay, we've spoken about it. What will be your key message in these debates? When you watch the debate, uh, please take a look to see whether the plans that are being offered on the climate or on social policies are really going to give us the change that we need or if we're going to just see more of the same. And ask yourselves, if we elect the same people and send them back to Ottawa, uh, or can we expect anything different, uh, especially when we recognize that we need a profound change in the uh, culture of politics. And so I hope that they'll come to the debate with an open mind. I hope that we'll have a chance to be able to share our ideas with them. And I hope that at the end of it, uh, they will vote for a group of people that are ready to get to work on their behalf. And I do believe that that will include uh, Green MPs. All right, well, we'll see uh, what happens, the big debate, and obviously for you, the first time on the national stage in, in a debate. Annamie Paul, Green Party leader, a pleasure to have you on the program, as always. Thank you. Thank you so much, Evan. All right, when we come back, the campaign turning point. Will this week's two key leaders' debates shift momentum? What are the key issues you should be watching for? We find out next with Ron Ambrose, Tom Mulcair, and Jody Wilson-Raybould. Stay right here with Question Period. Any federal election campaign, there's always a series of key turning points. Those often happen, of course, in debates. That's where the grab bag of issues can suddenly solidify and become lightning rods. Will that be the fourth wave or programs like childcare? Will it be the deficit, gun control, or just issues of leadership? The stakes could not be higher for all the leaders as they head into a French language debate set for this Wednesday, September 8th, and then the English language debate happening the next night on the 9th. What issues will emerge as the most pointed and what are the strengths, weaknesses and opportunities facing the leaders? Let's find out. Joining me now, campaign experts, former interim conservative leader Rana Ambrose and former NDP leader and now CTV political commentator Tom Mulcair and independent MP, not running this time, but former Minister of Justice in the Liberal government, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, I guess this is either a, a panel of experts or like the exact brunch party to talk politics that I would have if it's my dream party. So welcome. Uh, this is fantastic. <laughs> Setting up the debates with you three is a dream come true. Tom, uh, what do you think leaders have to do in the English language debate? Sort of strengths and weaknesses uh, to make an impact? 
Well, Trudeau's got to come in like gangbusters, as he did in the French debate, but he's also got to calm it down a little bit. He was, it was a bit over the top. He was basically trying to talk over the other players at all times during that debate, and it didn't look very good on him. O'Toole surprised everyone. I mean, uh, the word Olympian calm kept coming back. He was very solid. There were two weaknesses. One was with regard to daycare, and the other one, of course, with regard to vaccines. The first one is substantive. The, the other one is basically an image that the Liberals are doing a pretty good job of projecting. O'Toole's got to shorten his answers. He loves policy. Not a great thing during a campaign. Hello, Kim Campbell. I mean, this is the thing. He, if he says on daycare, I want to give a check to families, Trudeau wants to give a check to Legault, he wins. Uh, Rana, what, what, what do you think, uh, what are you looking for? What do they have to do to ch change the trajectory of this campaign or keep it? Well, we're halfway through the election already, which is nuts. It's gone by so fast. Um, but, you know, Aaron O'Toole has to keep doing what he's doing. He looks prime ministerial already. I mean, it's it's he has beat a lot of people's expectations. Um, and it, Justin Trudeau looks rattled uh, and he he is rattled. You can tell. So he's really has to step up for this next debate. Jagmeet Singh continues to be uh, to win the popularity contest. He is he is. He, fun to watch. He's fun to watch on social media. He's him and his wife are just lovely at, at their events. I mean, he speaks so well. He's he comes across um, in a very, very uh, friendly manner. I think we're going to finally see some issues emerge. And Tom talked about that. Daycare is one of them. The liberals have promised and signed agreements with provinces. The conservatives have a much different idea about what to do with that money. They want to send it directly to parents as opposed to building spaces and paying uh uh, paying for daycare um, salaries. Let me go, to Jody. We, you know, yeah, I don't know. There's been gun control debates. There's a lot of that. There's debates about starting an election in the fourth wave. Numbers are going up. Debates about affordability. Not as much about reconciliation as some thought. Uh, but what are you looking for in these debates to kind of emerge as that, if there is one, a clarifying issue? Well, I, I mean, I'm not sure if there's necessarily a clarifying issue in the election. I mean, there, um, if we were to identify one issue that is the major issue of our time, it's climate change. And I'm hopeful that the debate um, centers around climate change. Um, Indigenous reconciliation certainly hasn't been um, given a lot of, of airtime in uh, in public in the public debate or or generally on the news and i think it matters i know it matters to people that i speak to um debates matter and aaron o'toole is doing extremely well um as is uh, jagmeet singh and and uh, i imagine people in justin trudeau's office right now as as ronan has said are are panicking and um in the face of panic uh, um the the uh, Justin Trudeau does not do that well. So he is going to um, have to take the lead. He's going to have to make some gains this week in advance of the debate. Yeah, Tom, it's interesting. Uh, Aaron O'Toole, as you say, is it too early to run a, a front runner's campaign? Is it, is it, um, is he peaking too soon? Does Justin Trudeau, the attack ads have started. We've seen that. There's a little deeper dive into policy. The tenor of the campaign is definitely changing now. And I guess just real quick on, on the last issue of, of what Rana said about Jagmeet Singh, likable, does it translate into votes? He's, he's the target right now for the Liberals. I've been through it. Ed Broadbent's been through it. Mr. Trudeau in the greater Toronto area knows that he has to get almost all of those 50 seats to win. And he's going to try to do it by talking to NDP voters and convincing them to come over. Singh's got a much better hand than usual for the NDP. 
Trudeau has consistently disappointed on the left. Promised action on climate change, didn't get it done. Promised democratic reform, a key promise back in 2015, got the full report, looked at it, said, not good for the Liberals, sorry, we're not doing this. So the left is very disappointed and they don't feel like being taken for granted and being fooled again by Trudeau. So maybe Singh will be able to hold on to his vote. Uh, Rana, what are you looking for? Uh, if you are looking for something in these debates to change the dynamic of this race, uh, what could it be? I think COVID is going to start to play more of a role. I mean, we, we're seeing all across the provinces, numbers increasing, restrictions coming back in, school boards dealing with whether to mask, not to mask, whether to uh, vaccinate children, whether children are safe. There's starting, I mean, we've seen the protests around hospitals and protests on health workers. Right. This is, it's very upsetting to a lot of people to see this. And I think it's going to creep into the debates. How and I does think that it's going cut, to creep Rana? into the campaign. Like, how does that cut? On one side, people say that's bad for Justin Trudeau. He called an election a fourth wave. Others say bad for Mr. O'Toole. He will not mandate vaccines for his candidates. And look at those anti-vax. How, how, do, how do you split the difference there? I think it's bad for all the leaders. But I do think that at some point, the leaders are going to have to take a position on whether or not we have vaccine passports, whether or not we mandate vaccines, because we're getting to the point now where we recognize, I mean, you heard from the public health agency, someone that is unvaccinated is 36 times more likely to end up in the hospital. And uh, our hospital systems are, are going to start to become overwhelmed. Jody, I know you want to weigh in on that. Well, I, I agree. And I think that, I mean, on COVID being the issue and, and the challenges with, with kids going back to school, um, the rise, I mean, the numbers that we're seeing in terms of, of the fourth wave, these are real issues. And it's and it's easy for the leaders to, uh, you know, say things just to spark a debate or put in wedge issues. But we need um, to have real discussions about these policy issues. And, and certainly, um, as I said, climate change and, and looking at health care and making making these decisions and being clear. Aaron O'Toole is going to have to be and or clarify his position on uh, gun control, um, just as, you know, discussions about what we need to do in terms of, of COVID or Indigenous reconciliation are going to need to be clarified. The, the Liberal leader has had six years, so he's coming from that perspective in terms of what he has done and what he hasn't done. So that's an opportunity, I think, for all um, the other leaders in approaching this debate. Yeah. Welcome to the last half of a campaign. Scrutiny, scrutiny, scrutiny. You got to clarify <laughs> and we'll find out if discipline pays off or, or what happens, man. Debate week is great. Okay, uh, Jody Wilson, Rebel, Tom Mulcair, Rana Ambrose. Oh, I know it's going by fast, but great to have the three of you here. <laughs> it is. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. All right, coming up under the microscope as the campaigns hit the crucial last phase, will the now front-running conservative leader Aaron O'Toole get more scrutiny? Is Mr. Trudeau able to justify calling an election as the fourth wave grows? What about Jagmeet Singh? Can he turn likability into votes? Pollster Nick Nanos is our special guest on the Scrum Next. Stay right here with Question Period. With the election just two weeks away, Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives continue to hold a small lead. But will that translate into seats in the key ridings they need to win? So here's a snapshot of where things stand right now. In the latest Nanos poll out today, Conservatives at 34.9%, the Liberals 33.4%, the NDP 189 the Bloc and the Greens 48 and 4.2% respectively. 
That poll surveyed 1,200 people, conducted over three nights, ending September 4th. The margin of error, 2.8 percent, 19 times out of 20. But will the upcoming key debates this week change everything? To answer all that, everything, and every riddle you want to know, the Scrum is here. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Marika Walsh, reporter with The Globe and Mail, and our special guest is Nick Dano, CTV's pollster and president of Dano's Research. So I've set the bar pretty low. You have to answer everything and do it really quickly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nick, uh, we're looking at the top-line poll numbers. Um, you've called Mr. O'Toole a political freight train. Has anything changed in the last week? Because we had that one debate already last week in Quebec, the TVI debate. Has anything changed? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the fact of the matter is, Evan, is that last week the Conservatives were up a full five percentage points. They looked like a political freight train, and the Liberals were back on their heels. The big thing that happened last week, the TVI debate in Quebec, what we've seen in the last number of days in the nightly tracking is that the Liberals have been incrementally picking up steam in the province of Quebec, not outside of Quebec, but in the province of Quebec, and they've been able to close the gap. And the losers have been the Conservatives and the Bloc Québécois in Quebec. So that debate to performance in the province of Quebec has helped the Liberals and it's buoyed up their national numbers. Okay, debates matter, so there's two big ones. Uh, Marika, uh, but because Mr. O'Toole's been polling ahead, he's faced a lot more scrutiny. What do you make of his position on the gun control issue and what his platform says and his attempt to clarify what he would do on the ban on assault and assault style weapons? Well, what Mr. O'Toole doesn't want to say to cameras, but what is very clear from his party and his platform, Evan, is that he would repeal the ban on guns that were used in the Ecole Polytechnique massacre in Montreal, in the Dawson College shooting, in the Nova Scotia mass shooting just last year. And so the issue for the Conservatives is that they are sticking to this policy, but they know it's not a winner in these urban and suburban areas where they need to win, and so they don't want to actually quite yet explain it. And I think that's where we've seen him being tripped up in the last few days. And I think that the more he gets pressed on it, the harder it will be for him to not directly answer those questions. So I would expect the Liberal leader to really push that in the debates ahead. Joyce, just going back on those issues, uh, the political impact, some people might wonder, why are we suddenly talking about the gun issue and not the vaccine? I mean, there's lots of issues. What are the politics behind those? Well, actually, we are talking about all those issues because all of a sudden, you know, uh, at the beginning of the campaign, um, you know, Mr. O'Toole was sort of way behind. And all of a sudden, he was a freight train and all, he's under scrutiny now. Uh, so he can't be loosey-goosey with the facts and give it hazy answers to something. One thing is in his platform. Another thing is when he answers the questions. That doesn't work anymore when all of a sudden you're the front runner and all the spotlight is on you. Uh, Nick, the big debate's coming up this week, obviously. Uh, if Mr. O'Toole's getting more scrutiny, Mr. Trudeau still, he's facing rising anti-vaxxer protests, but also rising cases of the fourth wave. And just this past week, uh, Dr. Teresa Tam came out and said things could get so bad that by October, Canadians could be seeing 15,000 cases of COVID a day. Uh, how, did that, how does that issue cut both ways, and how do you expect to see this play out in these debates? 
Well, you know, the pandemic and a possible fourth wave is a, a significant problem for Justin Trudeau and the Liberals because it feeds into that narrative of why, why are we having this election in the first place? But these anti-vaxxers are punching above their weight, Evan, because not only are they disrupting Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, they can't get their message out, they're also making it problematic for Aaron O'Toole because he has not been in favour of any kind of forced vaccination. He wants to do education, not force people. So these anti-vaxxers are punching above their weight and they're having an influence on the campaign. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next week as both of these parties try to have a breakout moment, especially during the debates, in order to have some sort of advantage in the closing days of the of the election. Okay, so let's go uh, Joyce first, then Marika. Joyce, uh, real quick, what are you expecting to see in the debate? And then Marika. Joyce, what, what are you watching for, Joyce? Well, I think I'm going to be watching to, for Justin Trudeau. I mean, he has to defend his territory. He called this election. It's all on him. Um, so I'm going to be watching how he performs in French because that will matter. And then the next day in English. So, you know, they have two chances. That's it. Uh, this, this will be, and this is when people, they say, the Liberals have said, oh, people are not going to pay attention in August. They're going to start paying attention after Labor Day. Okay, so they've got two weeks to make their case if, if indeed people are paying attention. So I've been paying attention since the beginning. Apparently other Canadians will start paying attention now. Let's see, let's see what mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau's made of. What, what are you looking for uh, to be the sort of the moments here, Marika? I'm looking to see whether the Liberal leader can sharpen his message, Evan. In the last three weeks, the first three weeks of the election, he has not had a clear message to answer why this election, why now, what is the big decision on. And he needs to sharpen that message and also be able to drive the same message for more than a half an hour news conference or a 24 hour news cycle. On the flip side, I'm interested to see whether Aaron O'Toole actually does bow to the pressure to more clearly answer questions or if they believe that just sticking to their message and repeating the same thing over and over again is the winning ticket, which it might be for the average voter who is not paying as close attention to this as we are. And for Jagmeet Singh, it's the perennial question. Will he be able to convince voters to fight the Liberals on this message of a vote for the NDP is a vote for the Conservatives. That's the mess. That's the question they need to answer, and that's really the strategy they need to address in the following few weeks. Yeah, stop the strategic vote thing. All right, uh, Nick, Marika, and Joyce going to be at one of those transformative weeks in the campaign, which everybody looks forward to. Great to have you here on a Sunday morning. Before we go, let's not forget that today marks 1,000 days of imprisonment for the two Michaels in China, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Now, this has not been a major issue thus far in the campaign, but it is a stark reminder of how politics impacts everyday individual lives, which is why we thank you for watching this program and caring so much about the democracy we are lucky enough to share in this country. And remember, you can watch the leaders' debates live on CTV, on CTV News Channel and ctvnews.ca. The French debate airs Wednesday, September 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern. The English language debate airs the following day, Thursday, September 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm delighted to be one of the journalists asking the leaders questions. Stay safe if you're celebrating the uh, Jewish New Year, Shana Tova, and we'll be back here in seven short days. <laughs>